Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. I want to talk about shame today. Shame entered the world when sin entered the world. The problem with shame is it keeps us there. Most of you cannot overcome sin in your life because of shame. Let's let's look in the beginning. In, In a perfect scenario. Isn't it interesting in Scripture that the scenario was perfect? Yet sin entered the world. Some of us think that, man, if I had a different job, if I had a different spouse, (laughs) if I had different parents growing up, if my scenario was a little bit different, I wouldn't have sin in my life. So we have these excuses. And God says, in the perfect scenario, I just don't want you to do this one thing. Don't eat from that tree. You can eat from this tree, the tree of life, or you can eat from the tree of knowledge. I'm asking you, you can do anything you want. Just don't do that one thing. And they pick the one thing. Oh, the human nature. It says this, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord warned them. I mean, a warning is an act of grace. God warned them, you may eat freely of the fruit of every tree in the garden. Man, whatever tree you want, go ahead, have at it. Accept the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. And of course, we know the story how the enemy shows up and he says, surely you won't die. Come on, always questioning the word of the Lord. You won't die. And they didn't die immediately, but they started to die. They started to die because they were cut off from the life source. They were cut off from God and they started experiencing separation from God, which is the opposite of what life is. He's the vine. We're the branches. We've got to stay connected to God. We've been programmed by this world that you find life by doing all these things. But there's really only one way to get life. There's only one way. So it says this, after, after they eat, after they sin, it says at that moment, Genesis 3, 7, at that moment. Have you ever did something stupid and you're like, dang it, right when you did it, this is it. But it, it was way bigger than what you've ever done because they messed it up for all of us. <laughs> Thanks. I mean, we're going to have some conversations one day. At that moment, there are, you know what's funny, though? We would have done the same thing. Probably a lot sooner. At that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They were naked the whole time. Just walking around. A nudist colony. The Garden of Eden. <laughs> No body shaming. <laughs> right? No like, hey, you ate too many 
you know. Too many, we think we, they, some people say they only ate vegetables. That's, that's not true. God said, take and eat. Eat it. Eat it. Oh, eat it. They just had too much prom rib that day, that morning. And a prom rib omelet, and there it's showing up. There was no shame. There, there was no embarrassment of being naked with one another. I mean, you, some of y'all are married, and you're like me. You're still kind of like <laughs> running out of the bathroom to your, right? Come on. We know. I mean, maybe you're totally confident. Maybe you're better than I am in that. So they felt no shame at being naked before one another. They're like, this is who I am. Hey, you look great. (laughs) Right? So because of their nakedness, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So like, let's, what can we do here? So they make these little fig leaf coverings. Well, that, that doesn't last very long because you know if a fig leaf's separated from the vine, it quickly dies. So they're having to change that out like every, every couple of hours. What a hassle. And when the cool evening breeze were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking about in the garden. Like always, the Lord's like, hey, what's up? Let's hang out. Let's run around. And they heard him, so they hid. Some of you came in this room today, and as soon as the presence of the Lord, the Lord revealed himself, you hid. You're like, not there, Lord. I like the feeling and all, but we're not going to get into that. You hid. And they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord called out to the man, where are you? Like he didn't know. You know, he was asking Adam, where are you? How are you? Where are you? I'm not talking about your location. I know where you are. I want you to know where you're at. And he replies, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. And I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid because I experienced shame. And then God goes on this dialogue. Who told you you were naked? You ate. You listen to that woman. You ate. Shame. Now, I want to talk for just a moment about the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is, I messed up. It's rooted in action. I made a bad choice. When you make a bad choice, you shouldn't feel good about it. And don't surround yourself with people that go, it's okay. It's not a big deal. You don't want people like that. Listen, guilt is a gift from God. Mm. The Holy Spirit will make you feel guilty. Why? Because he's the spirit of truth. And you are guilty. When you do something wrong, you are guilty. So to feel guilty about it is the appropriate emotion. I hope you feel guilty when you do something wrong. You should feel guilty. You shouldn't feel good about something wrong about doing something wrong. Guilt is about doing something wrong. You shouldn't feel good when you make bad decisions. You should feel bad about it. However, once we're reconciled to God, we belong to him. 
And we should not feel unworthy or unwanted because that's contrary to our redeemed identity. The problem is, is most of the time we think I did a bad thing, therefore I am not worthy. Shame doesn't say I messed up. It says I'm unworthy. And it's rooted in identity. So shame doesn't say I did a bad thing. It says I'm a bad person. And listen, outside of Jesus, you are a bad person. I mean, you are a sinner. If you can't come to grips with that, then Jesus didn't come for the right reasons. Maybe he came from some some social issue. No, he came to save sinners from their sin. He came to rescue the guilty. He absolutely, that's what he came for. He didn't come so you could promote a human agenda. He came to save you from your sin. I mean, his mission is clear. But he didn't come to leave you in your sin. He called you out of it, and he came to rescue your identity. John chapter 1 says that we, are, we have the, the power, the right to become children of God. He gives us the authority to have an identity in him. So seeing, what shame is, is this, is seeing yourself as unworthy of belonging or connection. Adam felt this. I was naked, so I hid. I was unworthy of being with you in the garden. I didn't belong in your presence. And so what, what they did in this fear, because shame causes us to hide in fear, it causes us to cover up, causes us to get behind the trees and hide away, from, not just God, but from everyone else. This is why this is why shame is so is so troublesome and, and, and such an issue in your life because you will you will say I'm unworthy of connection so I'll just stay on my own and I I won't tell anybody what I'm going through I won't deal in this and you just deal with it the rest of your life it's so so damaging this is why community is is critical not optional because we need people we're gonna get into that in just a moment. So they, what, do, what do they do? They, they, they create this insufficient temporary covering to cover up their shame. And we still do that, don't we? We still create coverings, temporary coverings and hide behind trees. We still do it. And even though our intention isn't to be deceptive or evil, that's exactly what we're being. We're being deceptive. Deceptive, it's partnering with the enemy. It's, it's right out of his playbook. Just, just, just hide. We lie. We manipulate. We exaggerate stories. We make ourselves look better. Yeah. Don't see me. Let, me. let me tell you a story. The other thing that we do is we put others down. Well, look at your nakedness. Look how messed up that person is. We gossip. We, we do all this stuff. We, we, we make up stories. We build narratives. We put on a show. We work endlessly. We work really hard. For me, that's kind of my, 
my shame spot is I work really hard. So no one thinks I shared a little bit about that last week. So no one thinks I'm lazy. So I'll put on this show. So everyone has good opinions about me. Others create narratives of victimhood. And they gather attention from others. Oh, just, I'll feel good by everyone just kind of feeling sorry for me. And so what are you doing? You're just, you're just trying to cover up what you're really feeling. And you're calling it vulnerability, and it's not vulnerability. You're doing it for attention. So how do we remove the shame? So this is, this is the point. Genesis 3, 21. And God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. God creates a sacrifice. It's the gospel. Way back here in Genesis chapter 3, it's the gospel. A sacrifice will have to be made to deal with the sin and cover the shame. The proto-gospel. Right here. The Lord is laying the framework. And then he says, I'm going to put the enemy under your feet. You will bruise his head. Immediately. Immediately provision. Don't you love it that God has a solution before there's a problem? You think you're, listen, God has, God has the solution. I know you're working hard to figure out solutions. He's got the solution. So God provides a security and covers shame with a permanent covering. So he creates this leather, you know, loincloth. Hercules and He-Man and She-Ra out in the garden. All right, look. Here's how the Apostle Paul lays it out, Romans chapter five. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. What is that? Shame. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. Your argument will be this. I'm right with God. I'm right with God. I'm right with God. But you know, you know you're really not. It's a defense mechanism. I'm right. I'm right. Trying to cover the shame. There's only one way you're made right with God. And it's not by doing a better thing. It's by trusting the better one. (laughs) Come on. That's the only way you're made right with God. So he says it's it's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads us to being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. You blew it. I blew it. We all blew it. We did it this week. I did. Many sins. All of them. All the ones that you thought, all the ones that you carried out, all the sins. For the sins of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater, bigger than your sin, bigger than your mistake, greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. It's not a thing that you do. Well, I'm righteous. I did a thing. Then you ain't righteous. Scripture says your righteousness is like filthy rags. 
There's only one righteousness that pleases God, his righteousness, and you can't do it. We are the righteousness of God in Christ, our union with Christ, week one. This is how you're made right with Christ. I'm yelling. So it's a gift. How do you get a gift? Do you earn a gift? No, that's called a wage. You receive a gift. And it says, for all who receive it, what? The gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin. So you don't, you don't live in triumph over sin by trying harder, by working harder, by doing more. You live in righteousness by receiving what Jesus did. You will triumph over sin. Well, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I know. Stop trying and start trusting. You can live, listen, you can overcome sin because he already did. So you can live over it. Not because you're, not because you're disciplined, because you ain't, you ain't that disciplined. Listen, I'm a disciplined person, but I'm not disciplined enough to live over my sin. Thank God, because I have the gift of righteousness that transforms my identity, that transforms exactly who I am. And now because I am a child of God, I start doing the things like God does. Because now I'm infused with heavenly belonging. And because I belong to God, now therefore righteousness flows out of my life. And I'm not perfect. You can ask Leslie about that. She'll confirm. Just kidding. All right. Listen, oftentimes I miss it. I have a bad attitude. I act out of anger. And then so what happens? Just like you. I walk into church or I sit down to spend time with the Lord and instantly I feel unworthy. I'm like, well, I probably shouldn't be lifting my hands today because what I said to my wife before we got out of the car in the parking lot. I avoid that. I'm, I, we come separately. <laughs> I just do everything I can to make sure, okay, Lord, if I don't see any people, I'll probably do pretty good. So I just lock myself in my office. So when I come into worship, I don't have to deal with the, the thing. Of, oh, man. Or they're going to think I'm a hypocrite because I was ugly to them. Right? How many, how many times? Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten before the Lord and been like, I shouldn't lift my hand. I shouldn't pray. I, you know what that is? That's the devil. <laughs> That's the, because listen, it's never been about your performance. It's been about his. This is shame. So the enemy uses shame to trap you just to stay where you're at and not move forward in God. But the only, listen, the only way to overcome it is by getting connected to him. So do you see how the enemy's using this? Listen, if it doesn't draw you towards him, it's not from him. If the feelings that you're experiencing don't draw you towards him, they're not from him. This This is what happens when you feel conviction of the Holy Spirit. You go, Lord. Oh, I know that that didn't honor you. Forgive me. That's what conviction does. Shame goes, don't go to him. You're not worthy of his love. 
We come boldly by the blood. Don't you, love, don't you know that we can come boldly by the blood of Jesus, not based upon your performance, but on the sacrifice he paid? Listen, Hebrews 4, 16, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, for there we will receive mercy when we need it most. And when do I need it most? When I blow it. That's when I need it most. When I feel unworthy of it, that's when I need it most. So just come on in. Come boldly before the, the throne of your gracious God who has so much love that's already been poured out for you. He ain't taking it back. And he has no regrets. He doesn't regret dying for you. He doesn't regret you being on his mind. He doesn't regret any of it. He's just ready for you to realize it. Well, I know what you did, but don't you see how much I love you? Come on in, baby. I've been waiting for this moment. Listen, his presence is the safest place. He already knows. So there's this guy, Naaman, in 2 Kings chapter 5. And he's this warrior guy, right? He's, he's, he's the leader of the army. He's... He's, he's a man's man. He's, he's the guy. He's the stuff. And it says this about him. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. But nobody knew. Well, a few people knew. Because if everybody knew, nobody would be calling him a mighty warrior. They would say, Naaman the leper. But everybody saw his acts. Everybody saw what he did. They saw his armor. And beneath his armor was royal garb because he was in the royal court. And so with all this, these accolades, with all these compliments, he's able to cover up his leprosy. So in one of their battles, they, they, they bring in this woman as, as a kind of a prisoner of war, but apparently they treat her really well because she has admiration and affection for Naaman and his wife. It's his wife's maidservant, and she's there. And she knows about this prophet, Elisha. And she also knows that Naaman has leprosy because she's in his house. So the wife knows, the maid knows, the king knows. Nobody else knows. So she tells Naaman's wife, she says, listen, I wish that Naaman would go see this prophet, Elisha, because he's able to heal people that have leprosy. So if, if, if she can, if she can, if he will get to, to Elisha, he'll be healed. I, I know it. And so... Naaman goes to the king and he's like, hey, he's like, I set up a meeting. And so the king writes a letter to the, to the king of Israel and he's like, listen, this is Naaman. Here's this gift. Gives him all the silver and gold and all these clothes. And he's like, take this to the king as an offering and take him this note, kind of a peace offering, give him this note and, and we'll, we'll, we'll get a meeting. And so Naaman goes with horse and chariot and shows up at the, at the king before the king's court at his gates. 
And he's like, here I am. He's like, I brought all this, all this stuff for you. I have all this, these, these things that we've attained. We've got all gold and silver, and we've got all the stuff. And here's a letter from my king. And in the letter, the king is asking the other king to heal Naaman. And so the king gets offended. He's like, what do you think, I'm God? Like, I can heal Naaman? And so he throws this fit. He's deeply offended. Probably could have caused a war. Well, Elisha hears that the king is ticked off. And so he sends for Naaman. He's like, why is he going to the king? I got this stuff. And so they pull up at Elisha's house. So Naaman went with his horses, 2 Kings 5, 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house, the right house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Remember that, the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of your leprosy. Verse 11. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. This isn't working out. I went to the king, then I came to Elisha, and here I am, and he's telling me to go dip myself in the Jordan, filthy Jordan River. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. Doesn't he know who I am? I expected him to wave, over, wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and Abana and the Parfar better than the rivers of better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I go wash and them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went in rage. But his officers, come on, aren't you glad when you have somebody in your life that can speak some sense to you? And here he's got all these people that are speaking sense to him. Sir, listen, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Like run around the Jordan? (laughs) All the way, 600 miles, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go wash yourself and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. Seven times, come on. Seven times as the man of God instructed him and his skin became healthy as the skin of a young child's, and he was healed. Shame. What's beneath the armor? What's beneath the clothes? Beneath the clothes (laughs) is the man, and beneath this man is the leprosy. Right? All you people that are tracking with me, you think it's funny or some of y'all are like, where are you? I don't get it. The nucleus. Okay. All right. So, so what do we got to do to remove the shame? We, what gets us in position? Because it's the Lord that does the removing. First of all, you got to have honesty. You got to acknowledge your issues. Listen. The, the one thing that we all have in this room in common is we're all imperfect. And we can all say that with confidence. Yeah, I, I'm imperfect. How? That's the question. 
I'm broken. Okay, how? Because we love generalities because it causes us to just gloss over the issues. What's keeping you in hiding? What's keeping you behind the trees? What's keeping you trusting the fig leaves? What's keeping you there? What's keeping you from connecting with God? I know it's shame, but shame about what? Romans 12, 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. I know that that doesn't fit into your self-help book, your self-care book. Think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance, get this, with the measure of faith that God has given you. So it actually requires faith for you to look inside and go, okay, what's the issue? Is the issue something your dad spoke to you when you were seven years old? Is that what's causing you shame? Is the issue what the pastor said to you 20 years ago? Or how you felt mistreated? What, what is the issue? Be honest about it. Search your heart. Bitterness, obviously, but what are you bitter about? Number two is transparency. Honesty. Acknowledge your issues. Number two, transparency. Talk to the right people. The thing is, is a lot of times we're talking to people, but they ain't the right people. Some of you are still dealing with the same issues because you've just been talking to the same people the whole time. Because you talk to the people that give you the answers you want to hear, not the answers you need to hear. You don't like, you don't like it when your pastor tells you what you need to hear usually. Especially when I do it. All right. His wife knew. The maid knew. The king knew. The people didn't know. And not everybody knew. But Elisha needed to know. The king didn't need to know. Elisha needed to know. But it was because of his openness with his wife and his maid and his king that got him in the position to get him in the relationship that he needed to be to deal with the issue. Listen, this is what we know about people that are closest to us. They already know. It's so funny when we're like, when we decide to be transparent, we're like, you know, I just really feel bad about myself. And people are like, well, yeah, we know. You thought you were doing a really good job at hiding. Listen, the closer people are to you, the, the less you know about hiding. Your circle has to be opened up. I know that you're doing, a, you think you're doing a really good job at guarding your heart. But really all you're doing is you're keeping the Lord out. You're calling it protection, but it's really bitterness. So we have, we, that's why we do groups and that's why we follow Jesus together because we realize is that I am one relationship away from breakthrough. Listen, community is not optional. Well, I'm just really busy. Then cancel something else and get in relationship. I want you to be at church on Sunday, but I'm telling you, it's just as important that you, are, that you are with the people in this room. People that you can be transparent with because you need the right people. And I think the right people are here. 
I think you're here in this community to get whole. God put you here to get whole. But if you don't take advantage of the, of the opportunity and the relationships, then you're not going to get whole. So just quit making excuses and get in a group. I'm just, I can't, I can't express to you. I can't express to you, for me, how important it is that I meet with people in my living room every week. Breakthrough happens in the context of relationships. And oftentimes the answer we seek are hidden in the lives that God has placed around us. And again, it's not just people that are going to affirm you. Oh, I just feel so good when I'm around you. Great. But eventually we need to go a little deeper than that. We all hate small talk, right? But, it, but small talk's necessary because small talk leads to, leads to big talk. But you got to have small talk first. I know it's awkward. Hey, how you doing? How's the weather? I know we all hate that. But you got to start somewhere. All of us, all of us started. Every relationship you have, have starts, starts with small talk. You, you think you're just going to have a deep and meaningful relationship tomorrow? It's not going to happen. I just wasn't really connected. I'm like, what do we, we, we think? Is this gonna, you're going to wake up? Oh, I feel so connected. No, you, relationships take work. And I know it's risky. Listen, I know you want to hide your, your issues. I know you want to hide your leprosy. And with Naaman, man, it, it was really on the line because with leprosy, you would be cast out. He would lose his title. He would lose his reputation, everything. He'd, be, he'd been thrown out of the city. Instead, he relied, oh, get this, he relied on his gifts. And so he walked around with leprosy for a long time, and he probably didn't have to. Hmm. Naaman had to come clean if he's going to get clean. Now, let me talk about this. You're going to have to come clean if you want to get clean. Well, God sees he's sovereign. He don't work like that. We'll get into humility in just a minute. Now, there are levels of transparency. Okay, let me, let me teach something real practical right here. Everybody doesn't need to know everything. Transparency should grow with intimacy. Transparency, get this, is sacred. Listen, if you're just blabbing it on social media, you're not treating it as sacred. You're treating it as common. Because the thing is, the wrong people remind you of your past when you've moved on from it. You may get over it, but they won't. So it's important that the right people know. Stop giving permission to those that can't help you. Again, I'm not talking about living garden. I'm talking about finding your people and sharing with them. Don't treat platforms, social media, any kind of platform, like a public counseling session. Pastors do this sometimes. I've probably been guilty of doing this before. I got a platform, therefore I'm just gonna I'm just gonna process everything out in public. That's that's not that's not the way that God works things. He works it through intimacy and connection and dialogue. You think getting on no, I'm land blasted, I'm being I'm being transparent. Well, you've been being transparent for 10 years and nothing's changed. Because you haven't got connected with anybody. You've just land blasted your issue. Listen, transparency is not verbal vomit. I'm just so transparent. James 5, 16, confess your sins 
to each other and pray for each other so that you'd be healed. Do you want to be healed? Some of that's in the context of confessing your sins one to another. Well, I'll just confess it to God. Good. But there's another part here. There's another element of you getting whole. Number three is humility. It had to be humiliating for Naaman, who was normally celebrated, to submit to the advice of a servant. <laughs> to submit to the, vi- the advice of a prophet who probably didn't have the best reputation. Elisha was a pretty difficult character. To, he wasn't very palatable. <laughs> Just go read his actions. I mean, he was, you know, he didn't really have a, he, he had a reputation that he heard from God, but he was really mean to people a lot. And now he's telling him to go dip himself in a, what he would consider a dirty river, the Jordan. The lesser of the rivers. <laughs> Listen, the pain associated with humility is necessary. You don't, you don't get healed because you got the answers. You get healed by humbling yourself. So I have... I went to the chiropractor uh, in December, and my back is, like, pretty messed up. Some of y'all know this. Like, I've just really been having a lot, a lot of trouble with my back. And it's like, I did, they did these x-rays, and it's a mess. And so I not only have to go and get adjusted, I actually have to work on it every day. And it's humbling because it's like I have to do these exercises, like these, like, pelvic thrusts on this weird, like, cushion it, it, we, we joke about it because it looks really goofy. But I don't care how goofy it looks. I want to be whole. I want my back to be better. And I have to do it every day. It's humiliating. It's a pain in the rear. It's a pain to drive all the way to Fort Worth a couple of times a week and get adjusted and then come home and look like some person at a club at, in, in my garage. It's humiliating for me to tell you that. But the pain associated with humility is necessary. 1 Peter 5. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Not just to God, to one another. God opposes the proud. What does God oppose? Pride. The prideful don't get healed. It, It sets you in opposition with God. But it gives grace to the humble. And, and this is the deal with humility. You can humble yourself or the Lord can humble you. It's better to humble yourself. It's way better. <laughs> I've been humbled by the Lord before. It, it's not, it's it was way, way less fun than me humbling myself, which isn't fun either. It's way more painful when the Lord does the humbling. So he says, you humble yourself and I'll give you grace. Or I'll humble you and then give you grace. <laughs> okay, Lord. Your terms. And, and let me just suggest this to you. We, we have this idea that God does it the same way every time. We like to create patterns. The problem with patterns is sometimes we trust patterns, like prescriptions, and we don't trust the person of God to deal with our issues. And so go back and look at the healings of Jesus. Rarely did he heal people the same way. I mean, one dude, he's like spitting in the in the dirt and making mud. 
So you have preachers that are making mud out of spit, thinking it's some kind of method that the Lord uses every single time. There's other times a woman touched his cloak. We talked about that. Sometimes he just spoke the word and they were healed. Why didn't he do it the same? Because he doesn't want you to trust the process. He wants you to trust the person. And I don't, I don't like that language, trust the process. I'm never trusting a process because sometimes the process is broken. Just because it worked for you doesn't mean it's going to work for me. The word of God will work for you because it's, it's constant and steady and true all the time. But as far as the journey, we, we walk with him. Number four, vulnerability. We're almost done. Take off your armor. It's the hardest thing to do. <laughs> it's, the, it's the hardest thing to do, get naked. To come out from behind the tree. Knowing that you messed up and going, yeah, Lord, I know you know. Here I am. I felt shameful, so I was hiding. And he's like, I know you feel shameful. Let me deal with it permanently. Naaman, he didn't just get in that river with his armor on. He didn't just get in that river, that dirty river with his royal garb on. He had to take off his armor. He had to get naked before those that were there to get healed. What kind of armor are you wearing? Listen, if you continually justify your armor... You'll, and keep it on, to keep it on, you won't get healed. If you continually justify your armor, you will never get healed. Take it off. Take it off. Get vulnerable. Victimhood, entitlement, pride, fear, justifiable fear, anger, performance, being defensive, being easily defended, being tough. Take your armor off. See, the greatest expression of courage is vulnerability. The mighty warrior. Oh my gosh. He's got leprosy. Not anymore. The shame that was associated with his nakedness only lasted a moment. Stand with me. I'm calling you today to come out of the trees. To take off the armor and get in the river. Can we just spend a moment in the river? We just close your eyes. Some of you, there's, there's just been some, some spots. There's been some spots today that were revealed in your life. When we started, when we started today, I just felt like the Lord is revealing some of the, the, the reasons why that you were feeling unworthy before God. You didn't feel you're worthy of belonging to God. Some of those things were highlighted. Take off that armor.
Come on, can we just spend a moment in the Jordan? The Jordan is the place of transition. It's the same river that Jesus was baptized in. It's the same river that the children of Israel crossed over to move into promise. But in this Jordan, to be washed by it, you got to get naked. You got to get vulnerable. You got to be open. naked. Come on, just tell the Lord, whatever, whatever that is, that, that spot, I was wounded. I was shaken. I was hurt. I was disappointed. I'm continually disappointed. Listen, if you're struggling with shame, I want you to just do this little act of vulnerability. Will you just lift your hands? I'm not gonna ask you what the issue is. I'm just asking for a level of vulnerability right now. Just say, man, pastor, I am dealing with shame and I wanna be free today. I got some scriptures I wanna declare over you and I wanna pray. Are you ready? There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore no shame to those that are in Christ Jesus. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered in shame. Will you look to him? Lift your head. See, shame, what it does is it causes us to hide our face. We hang our head low, but the Lord says this, look up. Look up to where your help comes from. The maker of heaven and earth. Look up and I will make your face radiant. You will never be covered in shame. You will never be covered in filth. You will never be covered in regret. Shame off you.